0: Equine health is our business. Horses and education are our passion.
1: Welcome to the EquiConnect podcast. Here we will have case-based conversations and talk about interesting news and information with the goal of sharing knowledge focusing on equine health.
0: This podcast is not a substitute for regular and emergency veterinary care.
1: Our purpose is to inform and educate horse people
0: not to diagnose and treat medical conditions without a valid veterinary client-patient relationship. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Season 1, Episode 2 of the AquaConnect Equine Podcast, brought to you by McKee Pownall Equine Services. I am Dr. Kyle Goldie.
1: And I'm Karen Fell, Veterinary Assistant.
0: Thanks so much for joining us again. For those of you who missed the first podcast, we recommend that you start there. You'll get a better idea of who we are. But just to summarize, I am... Uh, Equine veterinarian. I graduated in 2011 and have been at McKee Panel Equine Services for almost a year.
1: Perfect. I'm Karen Fallon, a veterinary assistant, and I've been at the Newmarket location in McKee Panel for about seven and a half years now.
0: You're like high seniority now. (laughs) Getting there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Anyway, one of the suggestions we've had has been, uh, what is a day in the life Of A veterinarian like what's a day in life for a veterinary technician like and this can come from people who are just kind of curious because we seem to have kind of hectic lives sometimes I think it's all it also pertains to people who might be interested in veterinary technician work or veterinary work as a career. So Absolutely. To, to give people a better idea of that, we thought we'd uh, tell you about a day in the life. After that, we're going to, as per the mandate of the podcast, we're going to do a little bit of case-based learning.
1: Sounds good.
0: Okay, perfect. Karen, how do you start your day?
1: Well, personally, I start my day at about 5 a.m. when I have a nice, <laughs> <laughs> I have a nice hot cup of coffee and do some reading and then I work oh, out. Oh, that's right.
0: You're in a book club.
1: That's right. I yeah. am in a book club. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> then I uh, do, so I do my reading with my coffee and then I work out.
0: Wow. That is ambitious.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I'm a morning person. So I am definitely not a night person.
0: Gotcha. What time do you go to bed?
1: Uh, 8.30.
0: Wow. Yeah. We're complete opposites.
1: What about you? What do you do in the morning?
0: <sighs> well, I don't actually live that close to the clinic, so I have a bit of a drive-in. I live about 50, five zero minutes away from the clinic. I usually wake up around 6, mm-hmm. hurry myself out the door, and then I have my, my drive-in. And people say to me, you must hate the commute.
1: Right, it's pretty far. Yeah,
0: honestly, I, I love it, though. I listen to Howard Stern most of the time. Howard Stern or a variety of podcasts. I have my coffee and just kind of get my game face on. For get the, ready like, for, for a, the day. For a day of work.
1: Sounds good.
0: I start thinking about appointments that I have. Thinking about cases that I should follow up on, see how they're going. People often think, oh, I don't want to bother the vet, so I I won't call them. But a lot of the time, we're quite curious as to how things are going. So we'll check in and, and see what's going on there. So yeah, that's usually how I start my day.
1: Yeah, sounds good.
0: Yeah. Karen, what do you do when you get to work?
1: Uh, what I get to work is, uh kind of depends on the day. Mm-hmm. The Monday morning, the other technicians and myself will count through inventory. So that's in the trucks, the drugs and supplies, making sure we have everything that we need and making sure that we're fully stocked. On Tuesdays, we have a tech meeting in the morning. So this right. is amongst uh, the other technicians within the practice. And we're trying to just test base. Maybe we're doing some sharing of tips and tricks or keeping everybody in the loop. So there's kind of a high level of communication amongst us. And then on Wednesday we have a huddle. It's a company wide huddle actually, just to go over kind of bigger items and things that are happening. And then that's kind of the general first things. Then I'll we'll look at the schedule, see what's going on for that day, what veterinary I'm I am booked with, and then we'll go about packing the truck with equipment that we'll need for that day and supplies to make sure that we're ready for the day ahead.
0: We have to be ready for everything all the time, it, it seems, right? Apart from big equipment like x-ray machines, ultrasound machines, shockwave machines, that type of thing, ProStride, all the trucks are basically the same and are stocked up at all times so that if an emergency were to come in, we're, we're always ready for it. And that's that's one thing I love knowing is that at any one time, we've, we've got what we need and you guys do a great job of uh, ensuring that things are you know a, a little bit different on the on the vet side of things usually when i get to work there's some mad dash for some paperwork that needs to be submitted, Coggins forms and health papers and that type of thing that need to be signed. There's usually a bit of schedule juggling to, right. to happen um, because maybe on my drive-in or if someone else's drive-in, they heard that somebody else has a, that another client has a horse that needs to be seen that day and, and fit in. So then we sort of juggle the schedule around and see how we can make that work. A big part of uh, equine practice is there's a lot of driving. We end up doing a lot of driving Thankfully, most of us travel with a a technician every day, so we can spread that duty out a little bit. Right. Um, With having so much driving, it's really important that we can be as efficient in in our routes as possible. So sometimes we'll juggle appointments around to, to try to make routes make more sense. Every Monday morning, all of the vets have a conference call. We basically touch base on cases. Usually the first person to speak is whoever was on call over the weekend. So on any given weekend, there were probably three vets on call, one from Newmarket, one from Caledon, and one from Campbellville. We will talk about those cases just so everybody's in the loop in case it's going to be ongoing. Maybe it requires follow-up. And chances are the vet that saw that horse on an emergency basis isn't necessarily the one that sees it on a routine basis. So a big part of the, those conversations is keeping their primary vet in the loop as to how their patients are doing. That's that's a really important part of our day or our morning on Mondays is just making sure everybody's up to speed on, on all the other cases that are going on in the practice. I think it's also really important that we bring up cases that Maybe aren't going as as planned. One thing that's really great about working in an organization like McKee Panel is we do have twelve vets on staff. So we've got uh, a lot of veterinarians that come from different educational backgrounds that practice and have different emphasis. You know, maybe on some people like dentistry, some people like surgery, some people like racehorses, some people like sport horses. With having a diverse skill set, diverse uh, interests, it, it can sometimes be really advantageous to be able to talk to our colleagues about an individual case that, again, may, may not be going as as intended or may be challenging to get some ideas from other veterinarians uh, to hopefully get a better client patient outcome. We might have uh, x-rays that we want some other people to take a quick look at. So we'll, we'll let people know where they can find those x-rays and just give us a their two cents on it so that's a really really good resource and uh and something that we we definitely engage in a lot just to to get more ideas but it's also a good source of education because chances are you know if there's some bizarre case that I'm seeing for example not seen it before chances are other people haven't seen it either so it's a good opportunity to educate each other in absolutely situations so we also have a, a monthly vet meeting, which is kind of interesting. And again, it's, uh, we do more of the same thing. We'll talk about different cases. We'll talk about, you know, what's going well in the practice, uh, what needs improvement. They're they're really good discussions and generally they involve all the vets in the practice. Recently, we've been doing um, a formal case discussion. So one of the vets in the practice will talk about a case kind of from beginning to end, trying to educate everybody else on it. Generally, those are kind of challenging cases or bizarre even. So it's great that, that all the other vets can be brought up to speed. Then, we will usually have what we call a journal club. One of the vets in the practice is assigned uh, to pick a journal article and present it to all the other veterinarians. Continuing education is a really important part of being a veterinarian, just as it is for being a technician, as it is for being any any professional. So what we do is somebody will, will pick a, an article in a peer-reviewed journal that may talk about something New or something that uh, relates to one of the cases that the the that individual veterinarian has seen recently, and again try to educate us from an evidence based perspective. You'll you'll hear that term a lot, and I think more and more evidence based does that come up in in.
1: Yes. Yeah. In,
0: in tech discussions as well. Yeah. And and I think that that phrase is used a lot in in human medicine as well because doing something just because it's traditional doesn't necessarily mean it's the right way of doing things. Definitely. Right? Yes. And that's the whole point of peer reviewed research is let's find out if technique A really is the best way to treat this problem or if technique B is or a totally new technique is, is the best way to treat it. There's, there's a lot of reasons why we uh, review these journal articles, but uh, we do have a, a formal presentation on a monthly basis of, of at least one.
1: Absolutely. That's great.
0: Let's see. We talked about planning the day. We get all the equipment sorted out. Do you find that there's anything you have to do mentally to plan your day? Physically? Physically?
1: Not always. I guess it kind of depends. We're doing a day, for example, that there's a lot of dentals. I'll try mm-hmm. to make sure personally in my workout that I'm not doing as much upper body yeah. workout because I'll be physically exhausted to for sure. execute the day. Mentally, not really. I love listening to music on the way in.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: What about you? We'll
0: probably don't realize how physical our jobs are. And I got to say, it seems so silly, but probably one of the most physically straining aspects of our job is sitting in a truck for so long.
1: Definitely. Driving is a big <laughs> it's component ter- of It's our really driving. hard
0: on you. I find my lower back gets sore really easily. And yeah, there's lots of physical challenges with the with the job, with dentistry. I always get sore after castrations. Yes. Um, <laughs> as I'm sure the patients do too. Yeah. <laughs> and no, I, I find it funny because so focused and I have to stay in a precise position for 20 minutes or something like that. And I always find the day after I'm sore. It's funny how just that wear and tear kind of adds up. Yeah, there are, there are, there are physical things and, we get kicked and scraped and all kinds of things. There's the odd bite. All, all, a lot of my fingers have scars on them from being bitten, checking teeth. Yeah, there are some some physical challenges, no doubt about it. <laughs>
1: well, even just trying to keep a horse's leg up if it's being really difficult in terms of yeah. trying to do x-rays or a variety of things. It's It seems like an easy task, but sometimes if the patients aren't always on the same page as us, it can be more
0: difficult. People often think that sedation makes everything just so much easier, and it does to a huge extent but not every patient is great under sedation too. that's right and sometimes it actually increases the amount of physical exertion that we have to uh we definitely have to go through right so we all approach appointments fairly similarly but um how do you like to uh, approach an appointment or how, how do you you find appointments often go from your perspective
1: uh, well, we uh, have the benefit of having day sheets that each veterinarian has that lays out the regular scheduled appointments throughout that day, barring any emergencies, which has the so we are able to kind of plan accordingly. And prior to each appointment, the vet and I on the way in will try to discuss what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if we're doing a wound recheck, perhaps where the wound is, what it looked like previously, the vets plan of attack for that appointment so that I can best prepare the veterinarian to do their work. And for the veterinarian technicians, we rotate daily. So perhaps this is a Mm -hmm. horse that you're rechecking and you've seen it every day this week, but it's my first time seeing the horse. So we're able to kind of stay on top as well as asking if the horse is difficult to work with, a real sweetheart to work with, all mm-hmm. these little tips and tricks, which are good. And I can kind of mentally prepare myself for the appointment ahead.
0: For sure. I think that brings up a, a really good point. The, the benefits of, of having a technician at appointments. In my previous practice, I didn't have a technician on as reliable a a basis. I I would have one sometimes and it was a great benefit for sure. But at Mickey Panel, we generally have a a technician for every appointment. It's amazing how useful that is for a number of reasons. I think first of all, it's really great from an efficiency point of view. One thing I, I used to find is because there's so much packed in a given day, I'm trying to talk to clients and pack up at the same time, and I really find when I have a technician, I'm able to spend much more time focusing on my uh, communication with the client, make sure that my clients understand everything well, answer all their questions, and get the peace of mind for what they called us out for in the first place, right? I find that having a technician really allows me to spend more time with the client and the patient. I think that's very, very important. Safety; it's much safer. There, there have been times, uh, sometimes on emergency, that type of thing, when it's just myself and an owner and a horse. Some procedures really benefit from having a, a trained person there, so it's uh, it's great for that. I, I think it's it's really good from the perspective of ensuring good procedural outcomes it's a heck of a lot less stressful for me to know that i have somebody else at a given uh, appointment that knows what we're doing And you know because some of the procedures we do on farm can be quite involved and it's, it's really good to have a trained person there so joint injections navicular bursa injections castrations all those types of things it's it's so great to have somebody who who's trained and to help in those, in those situations. It's excellent being able to share the driving. I can't say that's, equally shared you guys do most of the driving but it gives us a chance to make phone calls and do medical records uh, respond
1: so to emails sure yeah. reach out to other veterinarians like yeah. there there's a lot of uh, uses that come about in that drive time that's yeah. for sure
0: i think it's good to have some companionship you know you get driving around and it gets kind of lonely after a while yeah. <laughs> so I, guess,
1: I can picture yeah, i can yeah, see yeah, that it's,
0: it's nice to have somebody to talk to so you're not know, talking to yourself i listen to podcasts a lot yeah, after a while it's nice to nice to talk to a A real person.
1: Someone that talks back.
0: Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Yeah, there's a lot of benefits from having a a team approach to appointments. I know another thing we talked about when we were planning this episode was trying to fill people in on why is the vet always late? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Believe me, it's as stressful for us as it is for the owners. We do not enjoy it at all. In a given day, oh man, just so many things can come up and it just, it all adds up to delay after delay after delay i think number one thing that can get in our way is dealing with emergencies absolutely unfortunately the way it works is because there's so much driving to do even at the new market practice where we've got five vets on any given day there's usually at least four people on the road yes yep if an emergency comes in it's generally whoever's closest that has to take it it doesn't matter if they've got a busy day or a quiet day or um, we need to get those patients seen as soon as possible. That can slow things down. And I guess the best thing that we can do is just try to inform clients about the change, about the holdup. And, and we really do appreciate it when uh, when clients understand that these things do come up. Because I, I've really respected when people say, like if I call, for example, and say, I'm so sorry. We've got an emergency to go to. I'm going to be held up probably about an hour. And people say, you know what? I'd want the same if it was my horse. Definitely, you know. So I can respect that. I, I understand, and you know, even if we have to reschedule, so be it. I think that's the that's the right way to approach it. Believe us, we're not we're not trying to inconvenience anybody. It's just uh, sometimes we can get kind of run off our feet, and the best we can do is is try to keep people informed. The other thing that kind of holds us up from time to time. Well, what do you, what can you think of, Karen?
1: Well, I was thinking in terms of equipment. Ideally, we would have one of everything in the truck. And as I mentioned earlier in talking about preparing for the day, I pack the truck based on the appointments that we have, which mm-hmm. the appointments are made based on the information given to the office when booking the appointment. Yep. So we try our best to have everything that's prepared. But, for example, if we go to an appointment and maybe it's very different than was uh, displayed, then now we're looking to try to get equipment. Perhaps mm-hmm. it was you know, now we're going to need an x-ray machine. So at that point, we're at the appointment, we're calling the office to try to find an x-ray machine where it's close by. Inconvenience, another vet trying to meet up to pass along the equipment and to get it there.
0: For sure. So I think that speaks to a bit of a pet peeve. Something that, that does come up often is clients may not describe everything they expect from an appointment when they're when they're calling it in we do hear some sometimes people call in and say i just want you to check the horse over is there anything wrong yeah just just come take a look at it and and, and see okay yeah no problem and you get there and it's like well it's been lame for six months and it's got this big knobby knee or you know there's a million different things so so i think if clients tried to uh, prepare us as, as well as possible for what their expectations are from a given appointment. I think that would that would help us to schedule the amount of time required for the appointment better.
1: Definitely. And building off of that, I think we'd go on to add-ons. So yeah. sometimes we have certain appointments where we go to, to see one horse for maybe an eye check. Mm -hmm. Trying to check Mm -hmm, an eye. And we get there, and there's the since you're here. Yeah. (laughs) One of our favorite lines, Yeah. You know, since you're here, could you check on this other horse for a lameness issue? Yeah. Which, absolutely, we'd love to look at your horse. Yeah. But in knowing that beforehand when booking the appointment, as you said, we're able to book the appropriate amount of time, make sure we have the equipment. An ideal world for us is that we'd have the right equipment, we'd give you answers, and, and be able to do everything all in that one appointment for you.
0: Absolutely. Trying to, we had a discussion a while ago about what what keeps us up at night. One thing that definitely keeps me up at night is cases that may not be going as intended. But another thing is like feeling like you let people down. Right. Right. Uh, Sometimes that comes from having to say no to an add-on or because it is an inconvenience. We hate inconveniencing people. We hate disappointing people. I guess if if we're trying to be totally honest, if people could... Be as descriptive in in their expectations for a given appointment when they're booking it. I think that would be very, very helpful so that we can book time appropriately and so that everybody can leave the, the appointment feeling satisfied, feeling that it's mission accomplished. We want to leave with the mission accomplished. Yeah, sometimes the schedule just doesn't allow it. And we do hate having to say no. And generally we're not very good at it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I so, would agree. And uh, building on that in terms of efficiencies, we can talk about the impact sometimes it makes with horses not being in, especially I find during sure. uh, vetri- uh, vaccine season. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, then it gets to be quite hard. It's amazing the amount of time it saves having horses in or horses with halters on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that being yeah. said, also clean horses in terms of if we're coming to do some injections. If they're covered in mud, we have to clean them off and and really prepare them because you want to create as sterile environment as we can so Mm -hmm. just those little things can change the difference of a half an hour appointment to an hour appointment or beyond
0: yeah yeah that's true i've I've definitely seen some farrier posts about that too absolutely you've got five horses to trim and all of them have mud up to their knees and it's hard to keep a real positive attitude in that type of situation i guess respect goes both ways generally our Clients do a great job of, A, booking up the appropriate amount of time, B, having their, the patients prepared. and uh, Most mm-hmm. most people are very conscientious, but just trying to think of some things that do definitely slow us down. Ultimately, we want everybody to be satisfied. We want everybody to be happy with the service provided. We always strive to do our best to keep people in the loop if we are running late. And I got to say, I feel like we do a pretty good job. I would agree. We should measure on-time on, t- on readings. Oh, I know that you can see that on airlines. They'll they'll have like the on-time rating for a given airline. All right. So we should all strive to be on time as much as possible. Sometimes things get in the way. Uh, We're not trying to pick on anybody, but it's just, just trying to give people some insights into what can hold us up and what can make everybody's day go a little bit better. What makes a good day for you?
1: I'd say a good day for me is being prepared as we're Mm -hmm. talking about. It's not a great feeling if you get to an appointment and a client has expectations that we weren't prepared for, for so sure. I think yeah. being prepared, being able to provide answers to our clients and patients absolutely, and just trying to make the day go as smoothly as possible.
0: Yeah, for sure. Part of our mandate, our, our core values of uh panel is to provide clients with peace of mind. I think uh, to leave an appointment knowing that we've given a client peace of mind is, is essential for what we're trying to do. I know that uh, a good day for me is one where I feel like I've seen a challenge and been able to diagnose that, treat that, whatever it is. There's something satisfying about a figuring something out because uh, as, sure. as you've heard it a million times. Our patients can't speak to us, so figuring something out is very satisfying. And then, furthermore, coming up with a, a treatment that is successful or a rehab plan or, or that type of thing that's that's where where we really get satisfaction from. I think is trying to figure out the answers to all these different puzzles. Our case today is going to be a little bit of a a, a bit of a short one, and it's on the topic of oh I won't. I won't won't spoil the surprise just yet. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's better, not. better, better not. Do that. <laughs> but it relates to a um, paper that was presented in Journal mm-hmm. Club uh, in our. I Think it was our January vet meeting. I, I won't spoil the, the the ending just yet, but it was one that this particular vet chose because again she'd seen a case and wanted to educate herself better on on that particular case. Found the paper and then thought. Well, I think all of my colleagues would really benefit from this as well. So, so we don't want to disclose information that we do have client patient confidentiality. So, we're going to say this was a uh, quarter horse, 13 years old, gelding. The horse had a history of basically just kind of being turned out in a field, didn't have a whole lot of fancy feed. It was really just on a, on a round bale and seemed to be doing just fine. There was no supplement, weight was decent and we do see that scenario fairly frequently yes, right so, um, yeah, yeah um, especially through the winter and then they are on their round bill for a while and then and then they go to pasture in the summer anyway in this particular case the the horse had been doing fairly well and then i got a call after hours on an emergency about the horse being colicky so that's routine. We see that all the time. Yes. Um, you know, not, not that it's not serious, but we do, we do see it. So I got ready to head out. And at that point, they'd already given the horse uh, some banamine for it and, and hadn't really seen any significant improvement. When I got there, it was unlike any colic I'd seen before because the horse had passed manure. Okay. It was covered in sweat and it wasn't laying down. It was almost as if it was trotting in place. Oh. Like, extremely, extremely agitated. And I thought, what on earth is going on here? I had never seen anything like it. And it, it didn't seem to be lame. But one thing that was really strange was it was very, very hungry.
1: Oh, like Which, it was eating.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was the strangest thing I, I've, I've ever encountered. I think there there might have been a, a hay net in a stall. And, like, it was, it was still eating. And, you know, we don't see that in in colic cases, especially not in a horse that can't stand still and is sweating buckets. It was was, uh, very, very strange. So I called my colleague because uh, I really was dumbfounded. It was a very bizarre case. Yeah,
1: it sounds very unique.
0: Yeah. And have you seen anything like this before? No. No. Okay. Um, I called my colleague and, and he said, you know what? I have seen something like this before in similar breed, similar age, and it ended up being what's called equine motor neuron disease. And then that phrase kind of took me back to vet school and I recalled what that was. Uh, This happens to be uh, what Dr. Caldwell's uh, paper that she discussed in Journal Club was on. Okay. Mm -hmm. On equine motor neuron disease and in a more broad sense, vitamin deficiency.
1: Okay. Mm -hmm. So
0: ultimately... What this horse was suffering from, it was a vitamin E deficiency, a a chronic long-term vitamin E deficiency, which I I think just, it can, there's a lot of factors that can contribute to it. Genetic factors, nutritional factors, the duration for which there has been a deficiency, all all these types of things. Vitamin E is very important in, in terms of the nervous system. Okay. Okay. It's important for muscle function. And it's also part of a molecular system for neutralizing free radicals. Okay, so it works with uh, selenium and a hormone. I'm just remembering this from biochem called glutathione peroxidase. Fancy thing. That yeah. I can't really recall how it all works. But the vitamin E and selenium and glutathione peroxidase work to eliminate free radicals. Free radicals are oxygen Molecules that can be very destructive if they're not neutralized. So I think that's that's where the lack of vitamin E kind of has this damaging effect to the system in general.
1: Right, and would explain the in terms of you're talking about its effect on muscles, how it would be the you said it was moving in place exactly. So you get those muscle
0: fasciculations, sweating, the anxiety. You know, I think it it probably um, contributes to that on a less acute. Uh, scenario, okay, so a more chronic scenario. I think we can see some uh, muscle issues, okay, so we're not seeing this this poor horse that's sweating and pawing in a stall. but we're just seeing these subtle deficits. Uh, long story short is that we, we do need to pay attention to vitamin E supplementation. And what the paper is discussing was how the required amount of vitamin E to overcome a deficit, is substantial it's very very difficult to overcome that the the one paper was suggesting uh, 5000 units and a lot of the the uh, supplements only recommend 1000 wow. units okay so, so, so five
1: times exactly
0: know. it's a, it's a lot uh, and again that's only to overcome a, a, a prolonged deficit i would not advocate giving that without the direction of your veterinarian but it was it really was shocking to us. Okay.
1: Yeah, that seems like a tremendous amount.
0: Yeah, exactly. And another thing that the paper discussed was... How the the form of the vitamin E mattered a lot. Okay, so having a uh, an organic the alpha tocopherol um, form is very important because that's the one that is uh, most readily absorbed. I, I encountered it many times in racehorse practice where hmm. people think that they're giving a lot of vitamin E in the form of the injectable vitamin E and selenium. Okay, okay. Yes. You know, you see that that bottle for EC. Yes. The paper discussed how that actually has a very insignificant amount of vitamin e in it so if people are relying on that for supplementation that is not significant but i think this really speaks to a a larger issue and that is that we can't necessarily rely on hay to provide all the uh, nutrients that our horses require in terms of of vitamins and minerals and, and you know there's a lot of horses out there that will maintain their body weight okay on on hay you know particularly easy keepers and that type of thing but just because their body weight's good doesn't mean that uh, those those trace minerals uh, vitamins are are being supplemented adequately
1: and is that where do they get vitamin e from
0: uh that's a good question the best uh the best way to get uh vitamin e so there is going to be some in pasture and i i think what what we really need to focus on is making sure that horses are being supplemented with an appropriate vitamin and mineral supplement. So, you know, there are lots of vitamin and mineral supplements out there that are marketed to be given to horses that are, there are a lot of vitamin and mineral supplements out there that are marketed towards horses that are just eating hay or just eating pasture. Okay? I see. In order um, to
1: supplement what they're... Exactly. So we're supplementing
0: the, the, the vitamins and minerals without... Adding a lot of calories to the diet. So I'm not going to mention any particular products. You right. can talk to your veterinarian about them. Just if you're, if you're relying on hay alone as your, your horse's sole nutritional supplements or as your, as your, your whole diet, there, there could be a lot that's being left out. Selenium is another thing. Soils in the Great Lakes region where, where we are are known to be deficient in selenium. So. Over a long period of time, horses that don't receive any supplemental selenium will become low in that, and then they'll suffer from deficiency in selenium as well. So to summarize, vitamin E, it can be... Uh, limiting in a lot of equine diets so we should be paying more attention to it there are ways to test for vitamin e deficiency although they may not be so reliable so you should talk to your veterinarian about that and I, i think it's really important to just make sure that you're you're supplementing whatever your horse's diet is whether it's just hay just pasture or another another issue we see is horses that are are fed a very small amount of grain right so let's say just to use something common, Or horse eats a 12% sweet feed Okay. And, and hay. Okay, perfect. And how much of the 12% sweet feed does the horse get? A cup a day. It's just basically just a treat. Well, you can't really rely on that one cup of any feed really to provide the vitamins and minerals uh, that that horse needs. And a lot of people only feed a small amount of grain because their horse doesn't need it to maintain body weight.
1: Right. So they're right. looking at the weight of their horse and making the judgments on terms of grain when really in looking at it in a vitamin perspective isn't quite enough. Exactly. Enough.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah, you'd look at the horse and you'd think, oh, it's, it's, it's almost fat, you know what I mean? How, how, how could it be deficient on anything? And yes, it's got, it's getting enough calories. And so it probably doesn't need a lot of grain. So I can understand why you would only give a cup, but that cup isn't going to make up all the vitamins and minerals. So in that situation, you'd be better to feed at just a, a vitamin mineral supplement, one right. that's formulated to be fed in conjunction with just hay, for example. So this is a good opportunity to talk to your veterinarian and uh, even talk to your, your feed supplier about what, what is most suitable because I guess the long and the short of it is we can have deficiencies that kind of fly under the radar until the worst happens we just need to stay on top of things.
1: Yeah, try to be more proactive. More
0: proactive, exactly. Exactly. So, yes, vitamin E supplementation is very important. Uh, deficiency can affect different horses at different ages. So, that acute situation that I described in the in the case that I saw generally happens to horses that have been deficient for a prolonged period of time and usually happens to horses over 10 years of age. Deficiency in growing foals can also manifest in, in disease. So that's another area that really needs to be paid attention to and, and speaks to why nutrition of our lactating brood mares and uh, gestating brood mares is really important. That's vitamin E supplementation, but again, making sure that we're supplementing vitamins and minerals on in a broad sense to all of our horses adequately is really, really important. And uh, just by looking at body weight or energy level, or whatever, isn't necessarily telling us the whole story. There can be these chronic deficiencies that can create disease in the long term, and we do have to pay attention to them. So that's that's about it. That's episode two. Uh, we want to thank everybody for listening. We're going to be back with episode three very shortly.
1: Again, send any feedback that you have. Uh, you can call into any of our clinics or social media or email info at mpequine.com. But thank you for joining us.
0: Thanks a lot.